Welcome back to the Fast Five Star Podcast, presented by the wide world of Rome and hosted by yours truly, Jimmy Robertson, head football coach at Fairleigh Dickinson University. I want to thank everyone for tuning in to this week's episode of the FFSP as we continue on our quest of being Fast Five Star. And that quest is in for a big-time treat today as we have one of the top coaches in all of college football joining us on the show. I am fired up for all of us to have this opportunity to learn from special guest Coach Joe Moorhead, the current offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach at the University of Oregon, the defending Pac-12 champion. Coach Moorhead, one of the most innovative and successful offensive minds in the game, is an individual who epitomizes what being Fast Five Star is all about. It's bringing that great energy and passion in our relentless pursuit of greatness. But he's not just a great football coach. He's a great person. An individual that has his set of core values that are the foundation of the cultures he's created. Cultures with high standards. These then guide his process, his styles, and his philosophies. Which are all aligned with his mission and vision. And along the way, on his journey, he stays one step ahead of the competition as he continues to learn and be a student of the game. Which allows him to be a great teacher. And being a great teacher allows him to develop both his coaches and his players at an elite level. I highly, highly recommend that you get out your pen and notebook. Because Coach Moorhead is about to give us an inside look into how he's done such magical things throughout his entire career. As head coach at Fordham, offensive coordinator at Penn State, head coach at Mississippi State, and now as the offensive coordinator at the University of Oregon. Confidence is contagious. But that confidence comes because of the process and the strong culture. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Coach Joe Moorhead, the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach at the University of Oregon. Welcome to another edition of the FFSP. I'm fired up for today's conversation as we are fortunate to have one of the top coaches in the nation, an offensive innovator, Coach Joe Moorhead, current offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach at the University of Oregon, joining us on the show. Coach, thanks for joining and welcome. No, I really appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on. Well, this is going to be a fun one, Coach, and I know most, if not all, of our listeners know who you are. But to kick us off, can you just give our listeners some insight into who you are, some background and some past experiences that have led to where you're currently at in your career? Yeah, I probably don't want to go back too deep, but, uh, you know, grew up in Pittsburgh, uh, youngest of three, had an older brother, played college basketball, older sister. Uh, you know, dad was a blue-collar guy working in a steel mill, you know, always carried a second job as, you know, was a janitor, bartender, you know, he, you know, sent us all through Catholic school. You know, mom was a stay-at-home 
you know, with, with, with us, with the kids, uh, you know, played football, basketball, and baseball growing up, went to Pittsburgh Central Catholic, you know, from there went to Fordham, uh, was a three-year starter there, also played a year of baseball and pitched my last year. Um, you know, from there went to play a season in the EFAF for the Munich Cowboys, came back, had a couple of tryouts, free agent day with the Steelers, didn't make it, a couple Canadian uh, workouts, did end up getting into a camp with, with the Arena League, with the Milwaukee Mustangs, got into one game. Uh, in the preseason, did fairly well, but uh, got got cut prior to the start of the season. And I think when you when you get cut from the Arena League, that's a pretty good indicator that it's, uh, you're not going to make the NFL and it's time to move on with your life's work. So I had an English degree and uh, kind of really wasn't sure what I wanted to do because I, you know, I had always kind of envisioned that I was going to, you know, continue playing football, you know, or baseball for the longest time possible and you know, took a job. Uh, you know, as a, as a um, sports writer, because I had an English degree, but, but simultaneously knew that that was a job. It wasn't a calling. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it just went, went to my local library when the Dewey Decimal System still existed. And you could look things up uh, <laughs> and find books in the library. and You didn't have to go online, but uh, essentially researched every 1A and 1AA program in the country, uh, wrote a form letter, sent a resume, got 250 rejection letters, did it again. And, you know, one day out of the blue, I, I mean, I literally knew, didn't know how I even got into coaching. Uh, but, um, you know, my, my high school was on Pitt's campus and, and, and completely out of the blue that they were creating a recruiting graduate assistant position. And uh, the recruit coordinator, Kurt Signetti, who's the head coach at James Madison now, and, mm-hmm. you know, has been at IUP, been at Alabama, you know, really great coach and great person, called me and asked me if I'd be interested in an interview. And I drove out the next day and, you know, got the job. And uh, kind of the rest went from there. Yeah, it's definitely a a calling, as you said. You know, that's why that's why we all do it. And I got to ask you, Coach. You played in Germany for the Munich Cowboys. I played in Germany for two seasons, actually against the Munich Cowboys. My second year, we had a ton of guys that formerly played for the Munich Cowboys. So uh, a great connection there. But what was your experience like for the season you played over there? I'd say unique, but fun was the best way to describe it. You know, it certainly wasn't the you, you may be too young to remember that, you know, the World League of American Football, mm-hmm. you know, kind of probably a notch below that. But you had a certain number of American players on the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and the rest of it was was comprised of, of German guys who really, you know, love the game of football. And mm-hmm. it ranged anywhere from we went to play uh, in Hamburg and there were probably 35,000 people in the stands to, mm-hmm. you know, playing a game in Stuttgart where there were maybe 100 people in the stands. Mm-hmm. So but at the end of the day, all of us as competitors and guys who love the game. You know, it was a, ch- a chance to extend our careers and keep playing and, and see a place in the world that, you know, probably wouldn't have been privy to otherwise. Yeah, that, that's exactly how I explain it to people, too. It's you get to do something you love. You get an all exp- expense paid trip to go out there and you're surrounded by other people that truly love the game because the Germans and Europeans, you know, most of them aren't making money. And if they are, it's, it's not much at all. So <laughs> you're actually doing it for the love. You know, and, and along your journey, Coach, and we'll, we'll dive into your journey and all the stops you've had, but have you had some mentors along the way that have taught you things, and are some of those things things that you still use throughout your career today at Oregon? Yeah. I'm, I mean, first and foremost, you talk about mentors and people who shape your life. You know, my, my, my family are, are the people that, you know, I think I've garnered the greatest influence. Obviously, you know, I talk about my mom and my dad. Mm-hmm. But, but my dad was a guy who, you know, from a very early age, we were, we were involved in sports and, you know, he coached my, 
my uh, grade school, helped coach my – he wasn't a head coach, but he helped coach my grade school football team. And then my older brother, like I said, played college basketball, but he was a guy that was around all the time when my dad wasn't working and would take me up to the courts to play, you know, would, would – you know, when I was pitching, would be the catcher and, you know, would, would be the receiver when I was throwing routes. And, you know, I, I you know, text and talk with him on a daily basis. And my sister was a great source of support as well. So I'd say that, you know, my family was the biggest uh, influence for me. Then I had some coaches growing up. I mentioned St. Bartholomew grade school in Penn Hills, where you may not think so for, for kind of a fifth, sixth, seventh and eighth grade school. But we would play almost 50 games a season in basketball. And, you know, we, we would play 12 football games and sometimes we would play football on Saturday and Sunday. But the coaches I had at the, at the and I know it's a, a lot of times, you know, I may not get a lot of credit, but but my, my, the coaches who were able to teach me the game at a very young age and, and not just the X's and O's, but what it meant to compete, what it meant to be accountable and all those things that you carry on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd say those are my greatest influences, you know, heading into into high school and college. And then, you know, you know, my college head coach, Nick Quartero was also my position coach. And then you could go stop through stop at every place you've been. And I'd probably say that's where you, where you, where you get most of your, uh, you know, influence as, as it pertains to coaching football. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And definitely some great stops along the way for you. And I'd love to take it back to your first head coaching opportunity at Fordham, your alma mater, somewhere where you played, as you said, had a ton of success as a player, and then now had the opportunity to go lead the program, which I know is a special thing for you, I'm sure. That's where we first met. You were gracious enough to let young coaches like myself, you know, come in and sit in meetings, go to practice, work your camps. And, you know, again, thankful for that, to be able to learn from someone like yourself and the program you built. And what you did there was special. Multiple FCS playoff appearances. You guys beat multiple FBS teams, top 10 rankings. But what would you attribute that success to? And how did you create that championship culture because you took over, I believe, a one in ten program the year prior to taking over Fordham. Yeah, you know the big thing is, you know, we didn't have a ton of success when I was a player there. Uh, I think our best season was four six and one my senior year, and um, always felt that there was a tremendous amount of uh, unrealized potential at a place like Fordham. And I mean, you're right there. I mean, you, and you, wonderful school. You know, great academics. You know, in the heart of New York City and. You know, the, the fact that I was able to come, you know, back to Fordham and, and you know, really help uh, elevate the program, the heights that were previously, uh, you know, unattained, as you mentioned, whatever it was, our 38-13 record, highest ranking in school history, Patriot League championship, mm-hmm. three straight playoff appearances, beat Temple and with Coach Coach Rule and all those great players they had. We were very oh, yeah. fortunate. One, one on the last play of the game, you know, beat, beat Army uh, when, when Coach Monk was there. It, it was just, um, you know, and you say, what's it attributable to? And I, I think it's it's probably the most overused word in our profession. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when it's right, it's right. And I think the culture that we established there and that I learned from different places along the way and continue to implement it, I think that was, along with having great coaches and great players mm-hmm. and a lot of support from administration, I think, I think we really instilled a, a pretty solid culture there. Yeah. Were there things that you guys leaned on in that culture? Did you guys have some core values or a mission or vision that really aligned everyone in your organization at that time? Yeah. I mean, everyone kind of, you know, you have your, your head coaching manual or your program manual and everyone talks about like the pillars or, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the things that are, uh, you know, necessary for success and it varies, but I I always go back to, and and I learned, you know, these things actually from coach Edson at UConn. And I believe he, he, um, 
you know, it, it's part of Tom Coughlin's model too. Coach would always talk about discipline, accountability, work, worth ethic, work ethic, attention to detail and selflessness. Mm. And, uh, you know, those, those are the things that I think we, we prided ourselves on there and, you know, and even carry those things on as a, as a coordinator and a head coach at other places that, mm. you know, if you can, if you can root your program in those ideals and, uh, and I think that all starts with recruiting that you can't talk about culture and then recruit guys who, who don't fit that. I think if you're going to have a set of core values, you need to one, uh, bring in a staff who espouses those values and believes in them and will pull the rope in the same direction. And then two, recruit guys who fit that model because it's tough to bring in a guy and preach to him you know th those five things are something similar and and they, they they've never they've never done it or, or they they won't adhere to it so uh, right. I, I think that was probably the biggest thing yeah and it, it definitely worked because as you said you had heights that the school has never been to and you know did record-breaking things while you were there and, and those values that that's who you are you know and uh, you can read articles about you and see things you do and <laughs> From the outside looking at it, it seems like you don't want that spotlight on you for all those other things. But whether it's in the community, helping your guys with life after football, all those things that make them a better person, you, you do that day in and day out. You can see with how your guys play for you and what they say about you. How important is that to do those other things off the field to get them to the success in life? Yeah, I, I think as coaches, we're not we're not far removed from a classroom. I, I think we're educators. And particularly at this level and the high school level and, and at the youth level, that I feel that our job in the four or five years that the players are on campus with us, that they should leave a better person, a st better student, and a better player in that order. Mm -hmm. And and they don't they don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. So when guys see that you are invested in their development as a person and as a student, and that you're willing to do the things that are necessary to help um, sustain them with the habits. Uh, that will provide a quality life for them once football is over, th th then I think, I don't want to say the football part comes e easy, but they're more willing to listen to what you have to say. Uh, you know, when, when, when they know that, um, you know, you, you truly, you truly care about them. And, and that's, I, I, this will be year 23, you know, uh, aside from all the championships and all the wins and all the bowls and all those things, those are all great. I, I value the relationships that I have with my players. I mean, I, I hear from kids, Heck, even from when I was a GA at Pitt, up up, up yeah. until up until till now, and, and I think that's something that 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 can't be faked, and it, and it's genuine. And you know, I get as much uh, excitement, you know, talking to Trace and McSorley and him heading into his, I guess it would be his fourth preseason camp here. You know, mm -hmm. texting with him and Tommy the other day, as I do when you know the group of Fordham kids are having a like a uh, informal reunion in San Diego, and they and they Facetime yeah. me, and they're at a Padres game, but. They're good husbands. They're good fathers. They're great businessmen. And, mm -hmm. you know, you, you get as much pride in those things as you do with anything that's happening on the field. Yeah, it's so true. That stuff is so rewarding. And it, it goes back to all those core values that you said, the culture that you created at Fordham that you, you know, those values you lean on throughout your entire career, whether it's the accountability, the attention to detail, the selflessness, all those things your players see, see you living it makes it easier for them to buy into it and then live it themselves. So it, it definitely is rewarding. And, and now coach to, I know you said, you know, make him a better person, a student, and a player. But now I would love to transition to a little bit of the player stuff and some of the football stuff. You know, as I said in the opening, you know, your, your offensive innovation is second to none in this game. I think everyone in the country, you know, knows what your offenses are all about, whether it's at Fordham, Penn State, now at Oregon, everywhere you've been. But can you kind of just discuss 
what your offensive philosophy is and are there some foundational aspects that your offense you want it to be known for? Yeah, and, and you've, you've, you've seen our kind of, you know, what we put at the beginning of the playbook and, and it really describes, you know, the, the core tenets of our offense. And obviously we're, we're a multi-tempo, uh, you know, no-huddle operation that, that can play as fast as we need to or slow as we need to um, with the thought process of getting into the best play possible against a look presented and run, running a bad play quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I, I believe in having a, 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 a very small core set of runs, a very small core set of protections, uh, drop back passes, play action passes. And at the end of the day, it's not what we know. It's what the players can execute. So I think there's always a fine line of uh, kind of having a system that you believe in that works, but also at the same time making sure that the players can – you know, successfully, you know, operate that system. Mm-hmm. You don't want to put a, a square peg in a round hole. And I think that's what the great thing with the flexibility of our system mm-hmm. is it could, it works best with a mobile quarterback, but at the same time, you know, you you can, you know, kind of, uh, you know, piece it together with, with a guy that's maybe a little less mobile. Or, mm-hmm. you know, some years we've been run heavy, some years we've been pass heavy, you know, and ideally we're 50, 50, 50, 50 sorry about the barking dog. <laughs> ideally we're 50, 50 balance. So, I mean, if we were to say that, you know, and we're primary 11 personnel, a a multi-tempo spread team with, with, you know, a core set of runs, a core set of protections, a core set of passes, and then obviously in in the run game, you know, our ability to to be great in the RPO game. And like I said, if you were to describe it, I'd say we're we're, we're an RPO-based run game that combines a West Coast pass game with the ability and willingness to push the ball down the field. I I know that was a lot of – Kind of description, but I think it probably you know deserves that kind of detail that you're asking the question. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's an amazing offense. Again, going back to watching what you did at Fordham and being able to learn a little bit about it and study it, and then being able to sit in on a QB meeting and come to your Penn State practices. You know, it's it's a system that's built for success because of I believe a big part of it, and you kind of alluded to it there, is how you teach it. You know, as you said, it's not what what you know as offensive coordinator right now. It's what your quarterback and what your players know. So are there things that you do to effectively and efficiently install that offense and teach it so your players can play at that instinctive and fast level? Yeah, I I think, you know, it goes down to like, actually it comes down to a a big part of it, I think, is the progressive and sequential teaching that we're for for, I want our linemen to be able to play with 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 physicality, with precision uh, and with confidence. And when you're running inside zone and you're running outside zone and maybe counter, maybe a little power sucker, maybe a little pin and pull, Mm. you know, but you're dressing it up with all your RPOs and your tags and things like that, Mm. that that you want it to present uh, simplistically to the kids who, to whom you're teaching it, but have a difficulty of uh, presentation Mm. to to the defense. So I I think the way that we, you know, we're going to, we're going to install, you know, because there's not a ton of formations. We stall our personnel grouping, we install our formations, and the, the kids understand that. Mm-hmm. And then we'll put in maybe two or three base runs per, per day in camp with the tags that go along with that. And then just continue through that process and really do the same thing with the protections in the, uh, in the routes. And, and, I, and you, like you said, you sat in on the meetings that we don't just call a play mm-hmm. some random name that has nothing to do with the uh, – right the actual implementation of the play that we, that we have, you know, words and L's and R's and, and groupings and families and concepts and things like that, that I think make, make the learning, you know, very, very, um, 
it's conceptual learning rather than rote memorization. And I think that's allowed our guys to grasp onto it, to understand it better and, and really to uh, operate it quickly at a, at a high level. Mm-hmm. No, it definitely is. Again, from the few times getting actually to see it firsthand, you know, it, it really is. It's, you know, relatable and it's very teachable to them. And as you said, it looks compl- complex to a defense. They have no idea what you're doing. You know, part of that's probably, as you said, you guys are primarily 11 personnel, but now you can align in a ton of formations and the defense is guessing. You're not predictable. Hey, they're 11 personnel. They're going to be these two formations in these two plays. No, we're 11 personnel. You guys guess what we're doing because we're running our full offense out of it. And is that one of the reasons you primarily are 11 personnel to keep the DC on the, on his toes? I think for formational flexibility, and I think from what we've seen, and, and obviously we did, 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 it, did it limits the amount of looks that you're going to see per formation. So mm-hmm. I, I know what a lot of DC, DCs have gotten to is, the, you know, they wait to see the formation to make mm-hmm. the call. But, you know, through the – and then we have our ability to check. So, you know, the chess pieces are always moving. But <laughs> with the ability to line in one personnel grouping and, line, and, and align in anywhere between mm-hmm. five to ten different formations in a game, you may not only see one look to a formation, but – you're probably not going to see more more than two to three, and I and I think that helps not only from a game execution standpoint, but from a practice preparation standpoint. Where you know you align in you know I pro and twenty one personnel under center, you know there's you know five hundred things that you can see in the blockings and the adjustments, and you just it, it's not realistic to practice all that stuff. Right. But when when you kind of have a beat on what a defense you know may do, based you know. Relative to the breakdown, it, it gives you a pretty it gives you a pretty good chance to um, you know work that stuff in practice. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned game plan in there and different looks you can get. And we don't want the inner secrets of of exactly what you do, but you know if you're talking to a younger coach now that maybe he's like, hey, Coach Morehead, you know, what are some things you do or what are you looking for when you're game planning? What would you tell them? You know, if, as they're starting out on their careers, there's some fundamental things that every week you want to do A, B, and C to make sure you're sound going into that game? Yeah, number one, I'd say make sure you're, 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 you're doing things that you're uh, confident the kids can execute relative to who you're playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and you sat through this process for us. You know, we're going to have a first and second down day, and then we're going to mm-hmm. go into our situations, you know, third down red zone and all those things. And I, and I think you want to have formational balance. I think you want to have run pass balance. And then, you know, I, I, I think um, – the ability to, to to mix and match your runs your runs and your tags, you know, what I mean, so if you're if you're going to have, you know, six different formations and you're going to run inside zone with a certain RPO tag, all right, which two formations do, does it does it work best? You know, you don't want to have it six different ways, but I think, you know, limiting your calls to maybe one or two per per formation, mm-hmm. and then as you get into your your pass game stuff, we always want to have three step, we always want to have five step, we always want to have in pocket play action. And then mix in our, our, our um, you know, our nakeds and our, and our screens and our perimeter stuff. So I'd say, you know, your your core group of runs that, that you believe in. Make sure you're you're diverse formationally and play selection wise. Uh, and, and then you know, you know, format your pass game to make sure that it's, you know, g- giving you enough variety throughout the course of the game. That you know, if one thing's not working, that there's other things to fall back on. Yeah, and you definitely do that. You can tell watching your offenses. The last seven, eight years, and we've all seen it. You know, as you said, if something's not working, you could do something else, and you have fun doing it. The stuff that you did with McSorley and Saquon at Penn State, some of the stuff you did at Fordham. I know you 
been active in the past on social media, showing different two-point plays and just some fun momentum changers type stuff that I know your players probably rally around because that, you know, gives them an opportunity to really have some fun with it. Yeah, I think that, I think that's, and, you know, going back, heck, to, I, I think that um, confidence is contagious. Mm-hmm. And when you have a um, significant belief in what you're doing, but also have uh, evidence to back it up, you know, the, the, the kids get excited about it. And, and some of the best days of the, of the, of the week during the season are the Mondays when you sit down to introduce a game plan and the kids are tearing through the scouting report, yeah. you know, excited to see, or when you get the red zone day or tight red zone day, they're, they're flipping to the back to see what the two point play of the day is or kind of yep. the wrinkles <laughs> you have in the tight red zone. So w- once, once you get the hook in and you, you know that, you know, they, they have that belief and, and, and a lot of that comes with success, obviously that, you know, faith is belief. Faith is faith is belief in what you cannot see. But you know, once once they have that, you know that uh, you know that that evidence. That this, and, and sometimes it's it takes a couple games. Sometimes it takes a season. You know, sometimes it takes a couple. But when the, when the light bulb goes on, mm-hmm. you know, th- those have been the really fun teams to coach. Oh yeah, when the, when those stars align and now everyone is truly aligned and excited about what you're putting in, that those are the fun ones. And Absolutely. I know in addition, obviously, to being an offensive coordinator, you coach quarterbacks, something you've done throughout your entire career, played it, coached it. And as you've mentioned, you guys run a lot of RPOs exclusively, you know, first, second, third level reads. You really empower your quarterback. Are there some things that you want in your quarterback? You know, you could have a runner or a passer, but are there some, you know, key characteristics, maybe that even start in recruiting now that you look for in your quarterback? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I've, I've evaluated kids all the way through the class of 25 now, and I, I – take a lot of pride in that process. And I think, you know, the first thing that you're going to look at, in my opinion, is the measurable stuff, you know, the height, the weight, the speed, um, you know, and then you get into, you know, arm strength, mobility, you know, how does he affect uh, the game as a runner, you know, with willingness and, and, and ability. Um, but, but I think the overlooked thing to me is I, I want to see completion percentage. I want to see touchdown to interception ratio. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to see rush yardage and then a, a big thing to me, and, and it, it doesn't hold true all the time. I want to see one loss record because mm-hmm. if, if a guy's going to play at our level, you know, I think he's a guy that should be able to elevate the, um, you know, the level of his teammates and, yeah. you know, put, put, put a team on his back. And yeah. I also like, I like to see how his teammates react to his successes and failures. So you watch a highlight tape, he throws a touchdown, you know, do the linemen run to him and celebrate or do they run away from him? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you watch a, a game tape when he throws a pick, you know, how, how does he react? So I think all those things, I don't believe in the term game manager. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want our quarterback to be a guy that when he steps on the field, believes he's going to win the game for us rather than not lose it for us. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And you've had a, a ton of them at every level that you've coached at. <laughs> You're going to continue to develop them. And probably a major part of it not only is the recruiting aspect of it, but then how you develop them in your offensive system, as we've talked about, how you teach it to them and then how they're then able to go out and execute it. And when they're out there, are there some things that you have your QB look for, you know, pre-snap, post-snap? Are there some main things that you want them to, you know, be students of the game, you know, for? Yeah, we, you know, we, we have our kind of standard uh, pre-snap checklist. You know, we, we're, we're going to go one high, two high, you know, man eyes, zone eyes. Then we're going to scan the front, scan the backers, you know, look for safety tilt, look for backer skew, all those things that are pre-snap indicators. But ultimately, at the end of the day, defenses have gotten so good at showing one thing and running another that, that we talk about pre-snap tips and post-snap confirmation. So all, all, inevitably, the ball is going to be snapped. And when the ball is snapped, they're going to have to get to where they're going. Um, mm-hmm. So we want to garner as much information as we can pre-snap. 
but but we really need to be excellent, you know, with our eyes up and downfield uh, mm-hmm. to make sure that that, that we're confirming. Uh, I know what we're seeing is the ball snap, you know, relative to, to what we need to see. Mm-hmm. No, it definitely is true. And having played the position, you having played it, if you have a guy there that can, as you said, not just go out and manage the game, but go out there and, and win the game for you and more importantly, have everyone else around him believe he's going to win the game for you, that's contagious just as the energy when you're installing a, a game plan is contagious because of how fun you're having with it. Uh, but coach, you know, again, appreciate all your time here. Don't want to keep you too long. A uh, couple of last things to wrap it up. I uh, want to just ask you, do you have any advice for younger coaches out there? Maybe they're just starting in their career. And as you said, you know, you got, I think, 256 no's, you said, when you sent out that form letter, yeah. to 1A and 1AA programs in the country. But is there some advice you would give a younger coach, you know, to maybe get to the level that they're aspiring to that you're at now that you would give them? Yeah, I mean, I, I would – I would just be cautious not to get up, get caught up in the wrong things, you know, and there's a fine line between where you want to go and where your feet are. So the, the, the first thing I would say is as a young coach, be where your feet are and mm-hmm. do as good a job as you can uh, in your role and embrace it. And you, you don't always have to accept that as the final spot, but know that the job that you're going to get is dependent upon how good you, you do at the job that you have. Yeah. And, 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 uh, and, uh, you know, and, and continuing to like reach out, make contacts and, you know, work camps and, you know, call people, DM people. And, uh, you know, and, and sometimes, sometimes it's, <laughs> sometimes it's, it's luck. And some, sometimes it, it, you know, it happens the other way, but, but my best advice would be, you know, continue to learn to be a student of the game, you know, do a great job at the spot you're at. And, and when opportunities present themselves in the rise, be ready to be ready to take care of them. And, don't don't get caught up in things that really don't have a bearing on on you, you know, being 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 a good coach because the, the, the right situation will, will eventually arise. It will. It will. And that that first impression might be the only impression, whether, as you said, it's shooting a DM to somebody you're at a camp a practice, wherever it might be. If you make that first impression memorable, it, it could lead to something great down the road, wherever you're trying to get to. And, and, and coach, and to, to wrap it up, I love to. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I, I was just, I mean, and that's, that's one of the things I take a tremendous amount of pride in that I probably, I probably overdo it a bunch, but I, I believe it's our job as coaches and, and you get to a certain level that you owe it to the guys who are in the position that you've been in to help them develop. So whether it's calls, emails, and I can't answer all of them, but I, I get to a majority of them that I take a lot of pride in not only helping younger coaches, but developing, I mean, the guys who have worked, you know, for me or with me, I mean, it's it's uh, I mean it's a pretty impressive list of guys, and I, just like you take pride in the players that you coach to see Joey Brady with the with the Panthers, and you know Coach Huff, Coach Ronnie, Coach Gaddis. You know, I mean, and the list goes on and on. To me, you know, I I, uh, I have as much pride in that as, as I do of, of any player that I've coached. Oh yeah, and, we, and we've had a couple guys in your coaching tree on the show, so the the list is extensive and. I'll even go back to what I've said earlier, you know, you allowing me when I was at the U S merchant Marine Academy at the time, come to some of your Fordham stuff. And then when I got here at FDU and stayed in touch and, and it's true, you, you answer, I would shoot you a DM to, Hey, good luck or congrats on a win or how's this. And you, you answer all the time. You always answer. I was at again, two division three schools. And at that point you were at Penn state and, and you answered because again, that's just the type of person you are. It goes back into the, that. and the relationships you built in your life. 
And to wrap up, Coach, love to ask one question to all of our guests on the Fast Five Star Podcast. Being Fast Five Stars, bringing that great energy and passion in our relentless pursuit of greatness to get to that elite championship level, things you've done in your career. If there was one last piece of advice for, for everyone, all listeners, not just a young coach, as you just gave advice to them, but one last piece of advice that's gotten you to that elite championship Fast Five Star level, what would that be? Huh. Well, I've been every every Division One scholarship school outside of one that I've been at has has won a conference championship, and I think we were on our way to one we hadn't. But that, that's the, the the thing that I would do is uh, it would probably wouldn't be different advice. You know, be where your feet are, yeah. work as hard as you can, uh, be be a, be a good staff member, uh, you know, be a good person, work your tail off, and you know, good things invariably happen. Yeah, it will. It's true. Usually great things happen to great people. And, you know, I'm excited to see what you guys do this year to watch your offense. I know it's going to be as innovative as ever. And what are you most excited for for the season, Coach? We got to ask you that as you're starting camp here shortly. Honestly, having a full season. And and when I say that, no spring ball last year. I was actually putting some fall camp uh, staff calendar stuff together today. We didn't start fall camp until October 7th last year, which was – I mean, you can't – so the fact that we've had a full spring ball, you know, the guys have been here all summer. You know, we're going to have a, norm, a normal fall camp and, you know, 12 games. That I'm most – aside from the, the, the challenge and the competition and having a, a good team and all that stuff, I'm, I'm just – and, and I, I know it sounds corny and cliche. I, I'm excited about the resumption of normalcy, yeah. for, not just for us, but for all college football. I, I think we all are. You know, I'll attest to it myself personally – being fortunate to get promoted to head coach here at FDU February 2020. And we haven't played a, a game versus outside competition yet. And we're in July, 2021. So I, I think we're all chopping at the bit to have a full season and, you know, excited for it. But coach really want to thank you again for all the time you spent with us. I know I learned a ton already have a couple pages of notes here in front of me, but thank you again. Good luck on your quest for another PAC 12 championship, just as you guys won last year and, and best of luck in the 2021 season. You too, Coach. Go get that first win, man. Excited for you. Sounds good, Coach. Thanks again. Bye, bro. Have a great one. You too, man. Wow! What a phenomenal conversation with Coach Joe Moorhead. Confidence is contagious. When you have significant belief in what you're doing and evidence to back it up, then great things will occur. But that confidence is a byproduct of the day-to-day process and culture that Coach Moorhead has created as both a head coach and a coordinator. As he said in our conversation, culture is one of the most overused words in the coaching profession. But when it's right, it's right. And Coach has established and implemented such a strong one everywhere he's been in his career. And a lot of it comes down to the people he surrounds himself with. Both the players who must fit the culture starting with the recruiting process. And the coaching staff who must believe and live the core values and culture every day. This drives the alignment for coaches' organizations and his offenses. This then gives them a chance to invest in the development And build relationships. Which as Coach said is something he values greatly. 
These foundational parts of coach's process and culture then guide his offenses, which are some of the best that college football has ever seen. But it all goes back to the confidence. Confidence is contagious. Coach Moorhead gets his players to play at a confident level because of the structure of his offensive system and the philosophies behind it. Him and his staffs teach and install in such a conceptual way that it's presented in a simple way to their players. But that same presentation is extremely difficult and complex to the opposition. It's a system they believe in, but at the same time, make sure their players can successfully run and execute. And that's what creates that contagious confidence that has allowed them to break records and win tons of ball games. At Fordham, Penn State, Oregon, and everywhere else he's been in his career. Are we doing the same thing to put our players and programs in that same position to be successful? Are we creating that contagious confidence on and off the field? And I want to thank Coach Joe Moorhead for joining us on the FFSP. As we discussed, he's always one who helps other coaches develop. And in fact, takes great pride in doing so. I know we all got better today because of him. I want to wish him and the Oregon Ducks the best of luck in the upcoming 2021 season as they look to repeat as Pac-12 champions and contend for a national championship. And I want to once again thank everyone for tuning in to this week's episode of the FFSP. Remember, subscribe to the Fast Five Star Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. On Anchor, on Spotify, rate it, review it, leave us a comment or a voice message. Follow us on our social media, on Twitter, on Instagram, at Jim Robertson QB, at Fast Five Star, at Wide World of Rome. Hit us up so we can connect and stay on this journey of being Fast Five Star together. And I hope everyone has a Fast Five Star Friday. Be where your feet are. Do your job. Embrace your role. And be great at it in order to create contagious confidence for all of those around you. And until next week, we are all... Oh, boy.